Good morning, everybody. Good. Really is good to see you this morning. It's good to be standing here on, when was it, Thursday morning, Will? Um, I got out of bed and um, I was just in the process of getting dressed and my back just went. <coughs> I have no idea. So I've had problems for a number of years and God sort of healed at various times and, and I've been fine. And uh, so I was just crippled. I couldn't do anything. Those of you who had that sort of situation, you know what that feels like. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know what Julie was already saying. We need to maybe look at someone else preaching on Sunday. And so we we prayed about it. And I put a, a text out to the guys. And at one point, I was making my way. I was trying to get across to the couch. I'd had to to get something. And I was going from the uh, the kitchen to the couch. And if you know what that feels like, just the pain and everything. And I was just, everything, the room was swimming around. And I didn't know what was whether I was going to make it to the couch or not. And I finally managed to get myself into the couch and into a some sort of a comfortable position. And I thought, well, I'm just gonna, not going to move again. I mean, the rest of the day will be gone. So I put a text out to the guys and said, can you be praying for me and told them what was up. And uh, I lay there for a while. And um, the last time this happened to me like this, I was on my back for a month, a whole month, not being able to get up. And um, so while I was lying there on the couch, I'm saying, Lord, you've got to do something or whatever. So anyway, they went away and they prayed for me and texted back saying, praying for you, Pete. And I was so grateful for that. And then uh, I uh, needed at some point, of course, you've got to get up. And I was going to go and see a physio. And so I stopped moving generally off the couch. I'm thinking, well, I, I can move. And I'm swinging my legs around and thinking, wow. Wow, I can actually put some weight on these things. And anyway, with a little help from a friend, I managed to walk out of the house and get some physio. And here I am standing here today uh, by the grace of God. And as Will saying, yeah, thank you, Lord. Every time somebody prays, something happens, doesn't it? It's a wonderful thing. We've been going through the book of Matthew, and uh, we're currently in Matthew chapter 9. Dave Perry started us off uh, last week, the first few verses of Matthew 9. I'm going to finish the chapter uh, this week. This is actually the third sermon I prepared this week, um, because things have changed and God's changed things on me. You're going to get one of them next week. One of them you'll never hear at all, if you're lucky. Um, but this one, I'm going to, it was something, it was the last one. Again, it came out of, uh, out of Thursday and everything else had happened. And God just saying, I need you to go back to that scripture and look at it again. I'd been looking at the chapter and uh, I'd written something out. I was going somewhere. I went back and I looked at it again and a whole lot of other things started to come out to me. I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to change what I'm doing and uh, we're going to go with this instead. So we're going to be running through Matthew chapter 9, some of the verses there. And uh, this chapter marks a change in the book of Matthew, um, because up to this point, Matthew, who's been writing this, has been writing everything that he's written down from his research. He must have talked to people, found out what was going on, found out what the history was, and he wrote the whole thing down out of what other people had shared with him. But here in chapter 9, the whole thing flips around, because all of a sudden, Matthew's there. This is where Matthew actually comes into the story. And so from here onwards, from verse 9 onwards, for the rest of Matthew, it's an eyewitness account. This isn't just what other people said to him, what other people shared. He actually saw it all. He was there. He tasted it. He felt it. He knew everything that went on. And so this is an important moment in the book of Matthew. On March the 1st of 1815, Napoleon, who had been deposed as the emperor of France, was on the Isle of Elba, uh, off the south of France. And uh, he was in a situation where he was exiled. Uh, 
But he was stirred to come back and do some things in France again. And he realized there was some uh, things going on in France that might make it easy for him to come back. And so on that date, March the 1st, 1815, he landed with about a thousand men from the Isle of Elba on the south of France and started to walk up through France. And his aim was to raise an army. And by the time he got from the south of France to Paris in just over a month, he had an army of 250,000 people backing him. As he was walking up through France, the royalists were sending whole regiments of troops, sometimes 5,000, 6,000 at a time, and they would come to him and they were there to take him to Paris in chains. And instead, without firing a single shot, Uh, Napoleon would stand in front of them and say things like, if you want to shoot your emperor, go ahead. And he would open up his jacket and let them shoot at him. Well, of course, nobody did. They all got in behind him. And by the time he got to France, the entire French army or much of the French army was on his side. When Napoleon was calling people to follow me, it wasn't just that he was asking them to get into the tracks behind him and walk along the road with him. He was asking them to get into his vision, to get into his direction, to get into what he was doing. I'm doing something. There's something amazing happening in this land, and I'm going to spearhead this thing. Follow me. Get in behind. Get in my ways. Get in what I'm doing. And so the people who got in behind left families, homes, everything else, and they got in behind because they were captivated by the vision of what he was doing. When Jesus says, follow me to Matthew, which he does right here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9, it's the same thing. Jesus isn't just saying, oh, come and walk with me along the road. The Greek word for follow means together on the road, being together uh, with each other, but not just together as in I'm alongside you, but we're together in what we're doing. We're together in purpose. We're together in direction. And so when Jesus says, follow me to Matthew, he's saying, walk with me in my ways. Travel with me on my paths. Understand what I'm doing and walk with me where I am walking. And as we go into chapter 9 today, the question I want to ask is, what can we expect when we walk in the ways of Jesus? What can we expect when we walk in the ways of Jesus? So let's read some verses. I'm not going to read them all, but let's read some verses out of Matthew chapter 9. Starting at verse 9 and going to verse 38, missing some out as we go. Uh, It's on the screen behind me. I'm in the English Standard Version, if you don't have a Bible with you. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Aren't you thankful that the teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners? Amen. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Do you need a physician today? I did. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. 
No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And then Matthew goes on and tells the story of Jesus healing different people. There's a ruler's daughter he raises from the dead. There's a lady who's been bleeding for 12 years, feeling unclean. Take heart, my daughter. Your faith has made you whole. Two blind men who come to Jesus and cry out to him for mercy. And a demon-possessed man, oppressed man, it says. Demon-oppressed man who couldn't speak because of the oppression and the demon. And Jesus sets him free. And then at verse 35, Matthew says this. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word, Lord, is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Your word shows us the way, and we want to walk in the way of Jesus. We want to follow him. And I pray, Lord, as you open up the scriptures today, you would open up, Lord, understanding of how we may better follow him in these days, because, Lord, we need you. We need you like never before. And I pray you'd help us. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Remember the question we're asking. What can we expect when we walk in the ways of Jesus? And if you look at this passage, the answer would be this. We can expect the unexpected. That's what you can expect if you're going to walk in the ways of Jesus. Look at the reaction of the people around him. Both the religious leaders and the disciples of John were shocked at what Jesus was doing. For the Pharisees, their understanding of scripture was that you don't stand in the way of sinners. You don't walk and seat in the seat of scoffers. That's Psalm 1. That's the beginning of their Psalms. The first verse of that Psalm. And their understanding of that was, if you're a holy person, if you're a leader, if you're someone who carries the mantle of being a godly person, you do not go into the house of sinners and tax collectors. That's how they understood the scriptures. And here's Jesus, not only calling these people to follow him, he's actually going into their house and spending time with them and eating and drinking with them. Why does he do this, they ask. And if you don't have much sympathy for the Pharisees, I do, incidentally. Uh, They had an understanding of Scripture. They thought this is what the Scripture meant. And here's Jesus who's throwing their understanding out of the window. But think about John's disciples. These people had given themselves to the most recent move of the Holy Spirit that had happened in the time. It had meant for them a life that was very different from everybody else. It was a simple life, kind of a monastic life, like a monk almost. A lot of praying, a lot of fasting. 
I'm not sure if they ate the same food as their teacher, locusts and wild honey, but I'm sure they didn't do a whole lot of feasting and eating and drinking. And so they've been part of this move that the Holy Spirit was involved with. And it came with this discipleship that seemed to be pretty kind of hardcore discipleship. And now Jesus comes into town. And walking in the way of Jesus means that you have to go to tax collectors' houses and sit down and eat and drink. What's going on here? This doesn't make sense. Did you not see the last move of God? Did you not see what happened here? That's how you make a move of God happen. You you pray and you fast and and you give yourself a, a tough time of it. And that's when God moves in. It didn't make sense to them. It was unexpected the way that Jesus was going about his business. And some of them stumbled over it and never got up. When Jesus comes, he does the unexpected, which means we don't expect it. More often than not, we probably don't understand it. Maybe it cuts across our experience. Maybe it even cuts across our understanding of the scriptures. As you read through the last 2,000 years of church history, you will see that Jesus has done this time and time and time again. It almost seems like in every generation, Jesus has done something unexpected. And the previous generation who have watched their own moves of God and things that have happened in their generation, some of them stumble over it, say that can't be God because it happened this way with us and this is different. Others have embraced it. But it's been that way in church history for 2,000 years, even our last 150 years, which has been an astonishing time in the history of the church. There have been moves of God and changes that have happened that have brought questions to previous generations who are saying, what's going on? How's this happening? And many of us here are here because of things like that that have happened in our own lives. We might have grown up in a certain stream of of Christianity. And if you're like me, I, I was around a lot of different types of churches when I was growing up. And I loved them all. There's something wonderful about every single one of them. But then something happened to me in terms of the moving of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I was spoiled forever. And some of the folks that I grew up with don't understand it. They still don't. Some of my relatives don't. God does unexpected things. Jesus is still doing unexpected things. And if we're going to walk in the ways of Jesus, we can expect that the unexpected will happen. So the question then that I really want to answer from Matthew 9 is how can we know when the unexpected is really from Jesus? First question. And the second question, how do we then respond to what Jesus is doing? How can we know that the unexpected things that are happening are really from Jesus? And secondly, how do we respond when the unexpected is happening? So I want to give you four characteristics out of this passage in Matthew chapter 9 of what happens when Jesus does the unexpected. Here's four characteristics out of what happens. And the first one is this. It's characterized by amazing acts of mercy and loving kindness. I don't know whether Matthew put his story in his book where he put it for a reason. I'm sure he did. But look at where he put it. 
Jesus is gathered in a home. And it's crowded. And some people, some friends have brought a paralyzed man on a bed. He cannot get there by himself. He has to be brought on a bed. He cannot get into the room where Jesus is because it's too full. But thanks to the Lord for friends that do not take no for an answer. They got themselves up on the roof and they began dismantling this poor person's house. And then they gingerly let this man down through the roof. You can imagine what the people are thinking inside the house. When this man gets down in front of Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, Take heart, my son, just like he said to the woman a few verses later with the issue of blood, Take heart, my daughter. He says, Take heart, my son. Dave unpacked this for us last week in a very beautiful way. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus understood that deeper than this man's need of his crippled body was some level of guilt, shame, and a desire to be clean. And Jesus spoke into that depth of what was really wrong and spoke forgiveness into his life. And then he said, take up your bed, rise up and walk. And he did. And the very next scene, Matthew is sitting at a tax collector's desk. He's not crippled in terms of the fact that he cannot walk. But he is crippled in many other ways. And in whatever ways he's crippled, there's a depth down there somewhere of guilt and shame, a feeling of uncleanliness, and perhaps the fact that he will never be able to walk with his head high. And Jesus speaks to him and says, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Not only did Jesus say, rise and follow me, however difficult that was for the Pharisees, he must have been thinking, well, rise and follow Jesus means leaving everything behind all my friends, everything that's gone on, my lifestyle. And, and it did mean that. But before he went, Jesus said to him about those friends. Can we get them together? Let's, let's have a party. Let's have a feast. What? Yeah, come on. Bring, get all your friends together. Bring them together in the house. Let's sit down. Let's eat. Let's drink. Are you going to preach? No. Are you going to do any mighty, wonderful things? No. What are you going to do? Well, I'd like to meet your friends. I'd like to sit with them and eat with them and talk with them and have fun with them. Your friends are my friends. To the Pharisees, that was an astonishing act of, they would not have called it mercy. But mercy is the kindness of God towards people who do not deserve it. And when Jesus does unexpected things, you can expect that it's going to be accompanied by some amazing acts of mercy and kindness. 
If you look at the moves of God of the last 150 years, the holy, holiness movement of the end of the 19th century was accompanied by George Muller and all those orphans being fed. The move of God through the Pentecostal moves of Azusa Street and Wales and everything that came out of that saw whole moves in terms of uh, looking after poor and disadvantaged people, hospitals and orphanages and all sorts of things sprung out of that. The, the move of God and the charismatic movement of the 60s and 70s and 80s that some of us sitting here came out of the same thing. There are prisons all over the world that have alpha courses going on in them and people are being saved because of the charismatic movement because of what God did in that move of the Holy Spirit. Every time Jesus does something unexpected, you can expect that there's going to be some amazing acts of loving mercy and kindness that accompany it, number one. Secondly, it will be accompanied by astonishing acts of supernatural power. This much seems obvious to us, doesn't it, as we read this passage, lepers healed, medical conditions that have continued for years, being instantly turned around, dead girls raised to life. The unexpected for Jesus ushers in a whole new era of power encounters with God. And what seemed impossible to one generation becomes the norm for the next. The trouble is, if you look back over 2,000 years of church history, the impossible for one generation becomes the norm of the next, becomes almost forgotten by the next generation, and two generations down, it was as if it never happened. Such is our capacity to forget and to walk away from what God has done. Look at this poor mute man at the end of this chapter of Matthew 9, bound by a demon so that he can't speak. He's been part of a religious community all his life, one that professed to worship God, but did not possess the power to heal him. Lord Jesus, don't let us be such a community. The crowd marvel. Never was anything like this scene in Israel. Is that true? Well, not if you read the stories. They've seen the Red Sea parted. They've seen God do amazing things, feeding million people for 40 years in the desert so that their, their food, their never, uh, never, there was always food on their table, there was always shoes on their feet. You read the stories of Elijah and Elisha. and God has done things like this before in Israel, but they have forgotten that God can actually do it in their day. It's easy enough to tell the stories, isn't it? Have you got some stories? I've got some great stories. I want my todays, not my yesterdays. Amen. My grandpa remembers standing at the back of a meeting in the 1920s, watching someone move out from the aisle in front of him and go forward for prayer, had a huge growth on the back of their neck. By the time they reached the front for prayer, the growth was gone. 1920s. Nothing like this has ever been seen before in Israel. Oh, yes, it has. God does miracles and wonders. And when Jesus moves in unexpected ways, you can expect there will be acts of supernatural power. Lord, more. Thirdly, the unexpected ways of Jesus will lead us into the harvest fields of God. 
Jesus gets to the end of all he's done in these last two chapters and says, can't you see that these fields are white unto harvest? Pray therefore earnestly that God would thrust out laborers into his harvest field. In other words, if you're going to follow me and in my ways, it's going to lead us into the harvest field of God. Again, each identifiable move of God over the last 150 years has ended up with an unprecedented number of people getting saved and their lives being changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for every one or two people that got saved, there's probably 10, 15, 20, 100 more who at least have heard the gospel and had an opportunity to get saved. We can expect that if God's going to do unexpected things among us, that it will lead towards people being saved. Because that's what it's all about. Miracles are wonderful. The mercy and kindness, absolutely wonderful, absolutely needed. But the end game is that people's lives will be saved. Saved from sin, saved from judgment, saved from themselves, saved from hell. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, can I tell you that you need to be saved? You need to be saved from yourself, from your own sinful nature. And one day, if you don't deal with that sinful nature, you're going to stand before a holy God. And the only thing that will matter when you stand before the holy God is not the list of sins that you have done, because we all have a great list of sins that we have done. The only thing that will matter when you stand before a holy God is what did I do with his son? What did I do with Jesus? And if you've never done anything with Jesus, I want to encourage you today. To invite him to come into your lives and take over. Cleanse you of your sin and become your savior and Lord. You can do that today. Even before you leave. When God moves in unexpected ways. You can expect that there will be amazing acts. Of mercy and loving kindness. You can expect that there will be incredible acts of supernatural power. You can expect that it will lead us into the harvest field of God. And number four, you can expect that what God is doing will line up with scripture. Caution though. The expected ways of Je- unexpected ways of Jesus don't always immediately appear to line up with scripture. That's what I was saying about the Pharisees. They thought they had it, right? You shouldn't be in the house of a sinner. Don't sit in the way of sinners. It says it in the scripture. That's what you're doing. It's wrong. Jesus had to say to them, listen, go away and learn what it means. What does he say here? That I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's the prophet Hosea. They must have read the prophet Hosea. I don't know how many times, but it hadn't done for them what Jesus wanted it to do for them. When Jesus is actually walking out Hosea 6, 6, they're quoting Psalm 1, 1 at him. They're both the scriptures. They're both right. But you can't trap Jesus to Psalm 1, 1 when he wants to walk in Hosea 6, 6. He is God after all, and he wrote it. It's up to him what he does with it. Not up to us to try and hold God's feet to the fire of you said this, therefore you can't do that. He is God. He will always do what is beyond our understanding because he is beyond our understanding. But we can expect that it will line up with the scriptures. We might just need to read the scriptures differently than we have been in order to see in them what was there all along and we missed. 
Go away and learn what this means, Jesus said. Open up the scriptures. Take a look at it. It's right there. Everything I'm doing is right there. The Bible really is everything that we need in terms of how to help us through our life, navigate this life, how to know our God. But it would be arrogant of any of us to say that we understand everything that it means. I certainly don't. I'm fully expecting to get to heaven and God saying, you know, you missed that, Pete. They line up with scripture. So that gives us some pointers. How do we know that the unexpected that Jesus is doing, it really is Jesus. Okay. Lots of mercy and kindness and love. Power. Supernatural power leads to people getting saved or at least having the gospel preached to them. And it can be found in the scriptures. So finally, as we come to the last question, how do we respond when the unexpected happens? Some of you have spoken to me this morning. The unexpected's happened to you, even this week. How do we respond when the unexpected happens? Let's read these verses 16 and 17. This is Jesus explaining how to respond. No one, he says, puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. He's answering John's disciples. These are earnest people who've given up everything to follow Jesus. As I said before, This was the move of God, Lord. This is how it was working for us. Now you're coming and doing something different. Help us. Why are you not fasting and your disciples are not fasting? Well, the disciples were going to fast. We fast. There's nothing wrong with fasting, but the bridegroom's with them. It's time for feasting, not for fasting. But how do they reconcile that? What do they do with that? How can they walk in a different way now, even though they were walking in one revelation over here, something else has happened and it, it's changing their parameters and they're thinking, how do I walk in this situation? And Jesus is so gentle. This, this scripture is often misquoted. Uh, and it's kind of misquoted this way, that, that if the new wine comes, you've got to keep it. Don't, don't, don't bother trying to put it into the old wineskin because the old wineskin can't carry it. So let's do the new wine over here. Don't bother taking it to the old. It's not going to work. Almost a sort of despising of what went on before it can lead to it. Eventually, that's exactly not what Jesus is saying. If you follow what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, you don't put an unshrunk piece of cloth onto an old garment because if you do, it will tear the old garment. You, you don't take new wine and put it into old wineskins. Because if you do, it will blow up the old wineskins. So you put new wine in new wineskins so that you preserve both the old and the new. Jesus loves them both. And in that discussion, in that picture that Jesus is giving them there's some there's some thoughts in there there's some heart postures in there that can help us Lord if you're doing something new how can we navigate our way through this whole situation 
He's saying that the new that has come from God is not meant to destroy what has been, but it's meant to bring fresh life. Shouldn't try to force one on the other. If the unexpected from Jesus is handled rightly by those who are both experiencing it and those who are watching it, then both the old and the new garments are kept. And old wineskins and new wine are both preserved. It's all about the posture of our hearts. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. Here's three heart postures in closing that I'm going to leave with us. If God's doing new things, if there are new things happening, it doesn't make sense to us. And and we're, we're questioning like John's disciples, what's going on? How do we navigate our way through these things? Well, three things. First of all, this. Stay flexible, humble, and open-hearted. We have to accept that God is bigger than smarter than all of us. Do you believe that? And we don't understand everything in the Bible yet. When things are going on in the name of Jesus that we don't get, let's not respond like the Pharisees. Let's stay flexible. Be that supple wineskin that maybe some of that new wine can be poured into. Stay humble. Humility never hurt anybody. And open-hearted. We can pray, Lord, I don't understand it. But I don't want to close my heart to what you're doing. Help me. Right? Stay flexible, humble, and open-hearted. Secondly, resist getting judgmental, proud, and offended on both sides if you're experiencing new things from God don't get judgmental or offended at those who aren't or try to force it onto people in your church your small group your family if it really is God then love is at the heart of it because God is love right if you're watching others experience new things and you don't understand them don't stand in judgment or get offended Ask the Holy Spirit how he would like you to respond. Lord, what are you doing? We don't have to get threatened by things, do we? Except I do. I don't know about you. Some things just rattle my cage sometimes. That can't be God. Well, Lord, maybe it is. And thirdly, practically, ask the Lord to show it to you in the Bible. Jesus said to the Pharisees, go learn what this means. Then pointed to the scriptures. One of the reasons why I'm preaching this sermon to you this week, apart from the fact that it's there in the text, but I was going to miss it. I was doing something else. But God put his finger on something with me this week where I've been sitting in a little bit of judgment of some of the things that are going on around. And I'm thinking that can't you some of this stuff you find on the Internet or whatever. Oh, that can't be God. Sometimes it gets a little closer to home. Some people get into things and you think, oh, that can't be God. And, and you look at the scriptures and it's not there the way I'm lining it up and, and whatever. And I began to realize, and I had to go and repent to somebody this week. Somebody that we dearly love and care about because an attitude in my heart had grown up where, you know what, we need to, we need to be careful how we handle this thing. Like we, whatever God's doing or was, might be doing or is doing, I don't understand it or whatever. And, and so I'd said some things um, from a pastoral perspective, which I realize now when I think about it, I think, gee, Peter, Lord, what were you doing? Why would you do that? I, 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 I didn't know I'd done it. It happened a few months ago. 
If this person hadn't graciously, it hadn't come back and come out, I would never have known. And they were so gracious about it because in all the responses I've had with them since, uh, I would never have known something was wrong. But I had to go back and repent and I had to do it twice. And I don't still fully understand everything. But I do believe Jesus is doing something. Because we need him to. We need amazing acts of mercy and loving kindness like never before. We need astonishing acts of supernatural power like never before. We need the gospel going forth and people being saved like never before. We need the word of God coming alive in people's hearts like never before. And if God wants to do it in a way that crosses my experience, my understanding and whatever, then that's up to him. I just want to make sure that I'm not resisting him. I'm not sitting in judgment of him. I'm not looking down on these things. Flexible, humble, open-hearted. Lord Jesus, if this is you. And you know, when I repented to this person the other day, and uh, we sat in the room with them, they were so gracious back, because if it's God, there's love at the heart of it. And for that period of time when we were there, it was a bit of heaven on earth. And I'm still living in the kind of shock of what I did. Wow, did I really do that? Yeah, Pete, you really did that. Can I really be a bit of a Pharisee? Yeah, Pete, you can really be a bit of a Pharisee. Can I really be one of John's disciples? Yeah, Pete, you can really be one of John's disciples. Here's me, I've given my life to the Lord, and whatever you're doing, every move of the Spirit, I'm on it before the train's leaving the station. I'm, a, I'm in it. But apparently not. Do we want Jesus to be Jesus? Do we want Jesus to be the Jesus that we haven't fully experienced yet, that we don't yet fully know? that we haven't seen the fullness of all that he is. Do we want that, Jesus? Because if we want that, Jesus, we've got to settle the issue that he's not going to do things the way that we want him to do them. He's going to do what pleases his Father in heaven. And if we want to run with him, walk with him into all that he has, then our hearts need to be prepared to be open to all that he's doing. Can I have an amen?